one thing I do want to point out to investors is when we look at investments, the first thing we look at is the return. I'm guilty of it because that's the whole point of investment to see how much my money can grow. And then maybe the last thing we look at is, oh, who's running it? But I think the more you invest, the more you really look into these, it should be the other way around. It should be who is running the property. Welcome to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Jen Barna. If you're a physician looking to put yourself in the driver's seat of your own life to define success on your own terms, you've come to the right place. And if you could use a team of coaches as trusted thinking partners combined with a peer community of physicians from across the country and easy access to the tools you'll need to help you accelerate your path to that success, please check us out at docworking.com. I'm thrilled today to have a guest with me that I know our audience will be very interested in because she specializes in addition to internal medicine, she specializes in real estate investment. I have with me here, Dr. Cherry Chen, founder of The Real Estate Physician. She has created this business in 2018 to empower her physician colleagues in commercial real estate investments. Dr. Chen received her MD at Texas A&M College of Medicine with honors and completed her training at Oregon Health Science University. She has experience with commercial real estate investments across multifamily, self-storage, manufactured home parks, and as a limited passive investor, as well as raising private equity capital through the real estate physician. Dr. Chen, welcome to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation and hopefully be able to share from my experiences and my journey to other fellow doctors out there. Well, I'm really excited to talk with you and hear about your experience and ask you so many questions. I would like to start out just finding out what led you to real estate. How did you come to this area? Yeah, I would say it was definitely not planned or not. I didn't have any intense insight or foresight. It pretty much started about a year after I became an attending out of residency. And we're not taught these things, right? So I wanted to know, I had contributed my 401k, had an IRA, and was just curious, hey, is there anything else I could possibly be investing into? So, you know, I was pretty young in my career, right? About a year out. So I wasn't thinking about retirement, early retirement, financial independence, like my net worth. I didn't even know what those things meant or had even come across that in my realm or being exposed to that. So it was just mere out of curiosity. I think looking back, realizing, hey, yes, I love being a physician, but I know my whole life is not just being a physician, right? That's why I love your podcast, being the whole physician. So I realized, yes, I could work, but at some point, maybe I don't want to work. Or being a doctor is, is definitely fulfilling, but I can't do it all the time. So it kind of just grew out of a curious question of, well, what else could I possibly invest into? And then you lead yourself, you ask one question, it leads to another question. And that's when I really began to ask myself, how can I make my money work hard for me? There are other ways you hear businesses, investments, and that's how people can grow their wealth and independently of the time we put in as doctors. So that's kind of how it started. You bring up so many good points there in terms of just thinking about ways to put ourselves in a more stable position financially so that we have options and 
like you said, you may not want to work forever as a physician, or maybe having something outside of your work as a physician gives you the power and the confidence to negotiate your schedule as a physician so that you can bring purpose to what you do and really feel fulfillment in the physician side of the work that you do. Has this side gig essentially become a full-time gig or has it been something that actually gave you a little bit more freedom in terms of your approach to your practice? Yeah, both. So a real estate physician was co-founded in 2018. And so ever since then, we've grown a lot, have over 2000 physician members engaging with us. Ways I describe what I do on the real estate side has been really fulfilling because as a physician, right, we help others synthesize a large amount of data and try to help them come to informed decision in as objective way as possible. So when I guide other physicians into real estate investing, I feel like it's playing on the same strength and passions I have as a physician. It's just a different subject being real estate investments. That has brought me a lot of fulfillment outside of medicine in what I think now can identify as my secret power or whatnot. So it gives me a lot of fulfillment. And then it has become, I would say, can become its own full-time business the last two years, building it and, and still working full-time as a hospitalist. But this year I will be able to cut back, which is really great. And it'll be a transition for me in this Deciding, you know, having that opportunity and freedom to decide, do I want to work less in medicine? Do I want to stay the same? But it is an option and that's always great. Absolutely. A lot of us are interested in real estate and I definitely hear physicians in the doc working community frequently ask about options that have to do with business and managing money outside of their work as a physician and how to grow that, how to make investments intelligently and asking for more knowledge about that. One thing that I also hear people talk about is being afraid to take the first step, that sort of analysis paralysis. And so I would yeah. love to hear about your first step and how that experience went for you, like your first real estate investment. This is about six years ago, and I'm an internist, so I kind of like to know everything. My education was for many, many months just on my own. I searched Google, I listened to podcasts, I read books, I went to live meetups in the area from the Dallas area. So my way of learning is to basically like bathe myself in as much as information as possible. And then slowly over time, I can make sense of it. That's kind of how I learn. And then realizing, okay, I've learned enough about commercial real estate, like an apartment. Oh, why is this different than a single family? Which I didn't even know we could invest in an apartment. Then kind of understanding the the basics and the fundamentals, if you will, of an investment as much as possible, then you have to find people who are actually doing these things because inside the hospital, I don't talk about this. I don't know anybody who even knows about this. So surrounding yourself with people who've done it, who know a little bit more than you. And that really was one of the main reasons for starting the real estate position. I created kind of this community in a way I would have liked to have found this information. And so I would definitely say it's, we are very analytical. And so we do fall under that paralysis analysis. But it's also, I think what's hard about it is as doctors, right? Everything is a straight path. Everything is, there seems like most of the time there's a, a right answer, but in investing in business in life, uh, there's not a right and wrong. It's not black and white. It's a spectrum. And a lot of it is, it doesn't fit me. 
And so I think what makes it hard is we're forced to ask ourselves really hard questions and to be really honest, but sometimes you don't know the right questions to ask, right? If you've ever been exposed. So that's kind of what I try to help new investors through or experienced investors through just a different way of thinking and being a doctor who's invested. So it's trying to find somebody who's kind of like you and who's done something that you want to do is, is very helpful. Was your first investment a single family or multifamily property? So it actually ended up being a multifamily investment as a passive investor because I learned, hey, well, I felt like it was just less risky, right? Having an apartment that's professionally managed, that has a business, somebody to look over it, I don't have to be actively investing. So that's one major delineation point, I think, for investors because when it becomes active, it may not be an investment anymore. It may be a full-time job or there might be other liabilities. But when I'm purely a passive investor, it does not become a full-time job. Somebody else is managing the property. I don't have liability in it. I will never be called on to make any decisions. So that's why I think passive investments can be attractive for physicians or just you know people who are working full-time busy professionals. You have a good income that you can put to work, but you don't want that investment. I think investments should enhance our life, improve our life. And so it just becomes naturally a very good fit. So I realized all of that. Mostly I didn't want to be active. So I made my first investment into a multifamily apartment complex in Dallas. What are some important characteristics that we should look for if we're interested in doing a passive investment like you're speaking about? What would be some tips of how to evaluate an investment and make sure that it's actually well-managed and can be a positive income stream? I feel like there's probably a thousand answers to that question, but I think what investors really are asking, right, is how do I know, quote, it's a safe investment, understanding every investment has some risk, but really any question you ask, you're trying to direct it as, okay, what are the risks and how can I mitigate it? So when, when you're looking at syndications, typically it's broken down into three categories. One, you want to look at the market, right? Because real estate, most of us have heard is location, location, location. That's very important. So one very specific category to look at is, is just the market. If those are looking into real estate or have some general understanding, know, oh, the Texas markets have been really good or the Carolinas or Florida, it's because there's so many jobs moving there. A lot of economic diversity fueling the population growth, the demographic migration, right? So it doesn't mean every apartment in Dallas is a great fit. It doesn't mean there's not a great apartment in Los Angeles or New York. But when you're an investor, you want to see, okay, as many eggs as I can put into this basket to where, okay, that makes me feel better. Okay, that makes me feel better. It's decreasing my risk as much as possible. So there could be a really great sponsor in Los Angeles, but I'm never going to talk to them. I'm never going to look at the deal at all versus a sponsor in Dallas, for example, where I know the market is really strong, so many jobs moving it. So one category is just looking at the market and seeing if it has all the fundamentals that bring the tenants that are living in the apartments, right? For your investment specifically. After you look at the market, you look at, okay, the property itself. Well, how does this property itself support itself in terms of numbers, the people renting, what is the rent, what are the rental comps? The great thing about real estate is that it is all this information you can gather. We're not making it up. You can walk across to the apartment complex and say, what is the one bedroom renting for today? And the property then itself supports the returns that we can project 
to investors. And then you look at the sponsor group. And what I love about being a passive investor is the sponsor groups, they're doing this 24-7. This is their main job. My main job is a doctor. But their main job is to look after these properties, manage them, lease them, take care of them and the tenants so that you don't have to be active as an investor. So those are typically the three main components you look at. Of course, they do all interplay because each sponsor, maybe they only do focus on one market right, or one specific asset and one specific type of property they like. And so it does intermingle. I would say it's not an isolated evaluation. One thing I do want to point out to investors is when we look at investments, the first thing we look at is the return. I'm guilty of it because that's the whole point of investment to see how much my money can grow. And then maybe the last thing we look at is, oh, who's running it? But I think the more you invest, the more you really look into these, it should be the other way around. It should be who is running the property because when you are investing into these for three years, five years, you need to feel that you can go to sleep at night, that it's being managed well, and that you have confidence the team can actually execute on the investment that I'm, I signed up for, right? And that's where I think new investors can get into trouble if you just look at returns without understanding how those numbers actually got there, or are they being very aggressive? I, I know it's long-winded, but kind of in general, looking at those three categories. So when you're starting to work with a company or, as you say, a partner that would be willing to manage the property, what criterion are you using to decide that you will work with this property management? Yeah. So so one, you know, going back to right market, I'm not talking to partners in New York or LA just because I don't think the investment environment is as solid or as attractive as one in Dallas, Texas, right? So one, we find uh, really good markets that we feel are, are really strong and healthy. And then, okay, within the market, you start to identify who are the players in this market. It might sound daunting, but just like any other industry, word gets around. And once you're in it, you start knowing the same names pop up where people will have reputation. So once you identify a market, then you identify the sponsors working in that market. And then you look at, okay, their track records. When you're talking about private investors' money, and most of these, the minimum is 50000 right? And they're raising typically multi-millions every time to buy an apartment. If you don't treat your investors well, or you treat them poorly, or investment goes bad, you're not going to be able to do your 20th project. You're not going to be around 10 years, 20 years. So the track record is supposed to help you filter that, right? It doesn't mean they're the best, but if they've been around 10 years, they've done 20 projects, they own thousands of units, they've probably been successful, right? And so that's kind of a way to look at it. And did you say that the investment typically is three to five years, or do you invest long-term in these units? So when you're talking about multifamily uh, real estate and through syndications, and that's just us pulling money to buy a project because most of us can go buy a single family home, but most people can't go purchase a $50 million apartment, right? So we all come together to do it. So the majority of syndications that investors will see will be probably a five-year timeline. I would say between three to seven years. Every team has a different business plan, but the majority will fall under that. And that's not kind of out of thin air. So there's two reasons for that. One is, you know, it's not you or I, we have money and we go buy a property and we're just happy with it. We'll just let it sit in cash flow, right? When you have hundreds of investors, you need to give investors some sense of clarity and objective of what their money is going to do. So when you have hundreds of investors, most people can digest, okay, 
I understand this money is going to be for five years. And I understand ideally we're going to double my money in five years, for example, through this investment. People can digest that. But when you say maybe it's seven, maybe it's 10, then it just becomes more and more nebulous and people need certain criteria. So that's one reason why you see that timeline. The other reason is, for example, a lot of the properties I and our group invest in are what we call stabilized value-add properties. These are the apartments you see that already built people already living in them, but they may be outdated, right? We go in and improve them. So you can think of that as a big fix and flip, if you will, right? So that takes time. You can't do it all in one day or even a month. Usually takes about 12 to 18 months to have tenants have their leases expire, go in and renovate, improve the clubhouse, the gym, the leasing office. So that takes 12 to 18 months. And then you improve the operations, improve the value. So that's why it's about a three to five year timeline. Terrific. That's really helpful. Do you do 100% syndications or do you also own some properties yourself? So I'm pretty much 100% in syndication. So I feel like I have a really great in-depth understanding of it. I just don't want to be active. (laughs) And so that's, again, going back to, hey, understanding you just because syndications or you hear from colleagues that real estate is a great investment, it doesn't mean you have to do it, right? I think as doctors, or if you save enough of your salary, you don't really have to do that much. So you have to ask, okay, am I comfortable with somebody else running the project? For me, I very much am because I'm giving up that control as a passive investor because I don't want that control. For some people, you might. And then syndications, you wouldn't be able to sleep very well at night if you don't have that control in running the properties, for example. And then being honest, am I okay with this money being illiquid right? for three, five, seven years? It's not like the stock market where I can just change my mind or get scared and run away and take it out. But you know that has the flip side of the coin where your investment's not going to fall 30% overnight. So there's typically two sides of the coin and where you can then assess for yourself, where do I fall? Does it make sense? Does it actually fit me as an investor rather than just, it's a great investment? What have you found in terms of the differences between multifamily units, self-storage, and manufactured home parks? So those are the three, I would say, most common, typical commercial real estate investments you'll see as an investor. I would say as an investor, you're probably going to see similar returns and a similar way to evaluate. So if you can, you feel comfortable investing in one, you'll probably feel comfortable investing in the other two, just to diversify your portfolio, right? Because it's uh, multi-units. There's a manager, right? And you still have to pick a real estate market that makes sense because this all involves people and, and housing. The main difference is being multifamily, right? It's just much more prevalent. Everyone needs an apartment or a home at some level. Mobile home parks, it definitely falls under affordable housing, but also with COVID or just changes in lifestyle, there are people who just don't want to own a home. They like downsizing. They don't want to worry about a house. But mobile home parks, you can't just build them. They're limited by the government. And so where there's very limited supply and growing demand, that always causes a constraint. And so when you're looking at investment, more demand than supply is always a good thing. And you can evaluate those very similarly, but also when you think about mobile home parks, I don't know if you've been to one on vacation. I love them as far as you know, RV camping is there's not a lot to maintain. You kind of have a parking lot, you have utilities, and you have general amenities if it's a nicer mobile home park. 
So as an investor, I don't have to worry about as much going wrong. It's not like an apartment where people are leasing. I need to fix their kitchen. I need to fix their toilet. Typically in the mobile home parks, people are owning or leasing that home. So they have to maintain it. So that's just some of the difference between that. Self-storage, a little bit different, but people are housing their things, right? And so typically is that you think about self-storage in times of transition. And so that's why they also do well when economy is great. You got lots of stuff you wanted to store somewhere, but also businesses rent them out, military students. So it's not just for homes, but also when times change, right? You want to downsize or you're moving. And so self-storage is just so, I think, flexible in that way, many uses. Plus the leases are typically one month rather than a year in multifamily, for example. So those are some differences, but overall, as an investor, I think they're very similar in terms of your evaluation of them. Because there has been so much interest in investing in real estate over the past 10 years or so, and so many more people have gotten into the market of real estate and investments. Have you found that it's become saturated or that it's much more difficult to find a really good deal in terms of finding the right place to put your money? Yeah. And I would say it probably differs from single family versus multifamily, right? So even though it's all residential or it's homes or people living in them, they're very two distinct ways of evaluating these. So that's why my focus is on multifamily. But because when you have 200 units, there's a lot of scale, there's a lot of leverage, there's a lot of efficiencies we can basically put into the underwriting because I don't just have one unit that I'm looking after, right? And I can have a professional team to look after it because the property itself supports and needs professional team to look under. But I would say overall, yes, like the real estate market has done so well over the last decade or so, right? And so it just really depends on the market. That's why I think when I see you know CNBC or headlines or investors getting really excited or really scared, it's usually a general headline. And that's why it's important to educate yourself. Even with COVID, the Texas properties continue to increase in value because more and more people moved here. That's why it's important to educate yourself, find somebody who knows a little bit more than you, because it's not all real estate is equal. And certainly every real estate market is very, very different. Terrific. Well, I really appreciate you coming and talking with us about this area of investment. A lot of people are interested in real estate investment, but don't know which direction to turn and whether to invest as individuals. And as you point out, as physicians, the passive strategy may be more appealing to a lot of people. And it sounds like people can reach out and contact you. What is the best way for people who are interested in learning more to reach you? So the easiest is just the website is therealestatephysician.com. That's easy enough. If you sign up, I'll shoot you a welcome email and you can schedule a call. Again, like what I said, what I find so great about this is I'm just connecting with docs and trying to you know, share and empower you to make a decision. So basically on those intro calls is just us chatting, kind of like what we're doing now and see, hey, does it fit you? Does it make sense? Or you want to understand how syndications are structured and we just go over that. I've also written a guide. And so that's free for people who sign up again, just to learn and educate yourself more. So yeah, the easiest way is just to go on the website and sign up if it's interesting. Terrific. Well, thank you, Dr. Cherry Chen. Thanks again for coming and talking with me today on Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast.
Thank you for having me. At DocWorking, we're here to help you maximize your potential on your own terms and help you live your best life. Top executives, athletes, actors all achieve greatness with the support of professional coaches. As a healthcare professional, you deserve ongoing coaching towards success in your career and in your life outside of work, helping you to balance and integrate work and life in the personalized way that is specific to you. At Doc Working, your success is defined by you, and our coaching programs help accelerate your path to get you there. And since our programs come with CME credit, you can let your CME budget help you to prioritize your own well-being. Please check us out at docworking.com. And until next time, thank you for listening to Doc Working, the whole physician podcast.